Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Can you hear me? <laughs> I'm sure you can hear me. Good to see you all this morning. A beautiful day. And I've heard people um, throughout the winter complain about the winter. I'm already hearing people complaining that it's too hot. But I am convinced of better things regarding you all. So it's good to see you. Uh, we are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and um, good to see you all bright and awake this morning. And let's begin by praying, beseeching God His presence in a unique way and His teaching ministry by His Word through the Holy Spirit. We confess to you glory, glory alone that belongs to you, that we are to do all things to your glory, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, that the name of Christ be glorified and we lift him up this morning. Assist us to proclaim, Lord, with our tongues this morning the greatness of our God, that we would bless you and speak well of you. And we give you thanks for the blessings that are ours in Christ that are innumerable in the heavenly places. And we thank you for the pardon that is ours For we have been people of unclean lips, living among people of unclean lips throughout this week. And yet we come into your presence confessing our unfittedness, and you accept us in the beloved. And so we ask, Lord God, that you would speak for your servants are listening. May we hear the word of the Lord. May we indeed live it out and follow it to truly hear and obey have you as you have designed for us to. And so, Father, we pray for your ministry of the Holy Spirit through your word this morning, for we know that it is true. All these things we pray in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Are your tongues getting tired yet? Talking about tongues, I've heard that from a couple of people this week, that oh, it be nice when this is over with. And um, I will say that uh, um, it's important for us to keep our perspective when we're talking about this issue of tongues. There's more to it than just tongues. And uh, today we will finish up the main point that Paul is making. Next week we'll, we'll uh, finish chapter 14, we hope, in, in which we will show... Uh, the rest of worship and how everything is to be done decently and in order. But I thought it'd be well for us to review a little bit this morning. Um, and what is uh, a spiritual gift? We, have, we saw that from chapter 12, verse 1. Paul said, I, I write to you concerning spiritual, that is, spiritual things. He wants them to be spiritual people. And spiritual uh, gifts are part of being spiritual And the spiritual gift is a God-given ability to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. This section of 12 through 14, that's what this is about. Then we have turned to the issue of tongues because particularly Paul is dealing with tongues versus prophecy. And he's trying to show the relative value of these two. And so we'll put both of those um, uh, definitions up. And Caleb brought those to us here a few weeks ago. Tongues, uh, the God-given ability to speak in human languages that are previously unlearned and unknown to the speaker. Of, of course, there is the interpretation of tongues, someone who has that ability to interpret a language that they have never known or spoken or learned before. 
But it is not unintelligible speech. It is a known language. It is a language that existed on the face of the earth. Prophecy, as opposed to tongues, or in addition to tongues, I guess we might say, in Thistleton, one of the uh, um, commentators that us guys in the office kind of like in this uh, study, says this, here, prophecy amounts to healthy preaching, proclamation, or teaching which is pastorally applied for the appropriation of the gospel truth and promise. So prophecy is not telling the future. It is the prophetic word. It is the prophetic proclamation of God's truth with clarity and with spiritual power. And that we see throughout the scriptures. The telling of the future happens in a prophetic way from time to time. But Paul is talking about something different. So, if I were to make it succinct, here is the, um, the, the summary of what we've been talking about in 12 through 14. Spiritual gifts, the prophetic, prophetic word is more valuable than tongues. Edification is the purpose of all gifts. And of course, you can't leave out love. All is to be done in love. That's basically a summation of what Paul is saying in chapters 12 through 14. And so we're going to look at verses uh, 20 through 28 this morning. And would you please take your Bibles, the prophetic word, and would you open to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to read verses 20 through 22. So I encourage you to stand to give honor to the reading of God's word. Um, As they did in the day of Nehemiah, we open the word, the people stand, and you will say the amen. You can get on your knees if you want. You can put your hands in the air. And you can say amen, 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 as they did in Nehemiah's time. But please give attention to the reading of God's word, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not to believers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and the ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So, all we are saying is this this morning. 
this is what I want you to walk out the door with. We are to be spiritually mature through the prophetic word that builds us up. You can write that down. It's on the screen. We are to be spiritually mature through the prophetic word that builds us up. That's what we just read. That is the summation of what Paul is saying this morning. Moving on to maturity, and that happens to the word of God, the word of God that builds us up as a body. So the first thing we are going to look at is this maturity bit of it, where we see that we are to pursue the maturity of faith in verses 20 through 22. Pursue the maturity of faith. He says, brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Yet in evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be mature. Paul softens a little bit here, but he still he addresses them as family, as brethren, as brothers and sisters. He does that twice in our passage because he's, he's trying to appeal to them, not just lay down the law, but he wants them to know, look, brothers, this is the truth and this is what I want for you. He strongly and lovingly admonishes them that they need to move on from immaturity to maturity. He says, do not be children. That's an imperative. Then he says, be infants when it comes to evil. That's a second imperative. And then he says, be mature in your thinking. That's a third imperative. Whenever you see these commands, what we call imperatives, you know that this is what the passage is about. You know that this is the point of what Paul is making. And he's saying to them, you can't continue to be immature in this issue of tongues and and prophecy and edification. You need to grow up in your thinking. He, he, he recalls something that he said to them back in chapter 3. You recall in chapter 3, he said this, verses 1 through 3. He said, I, brethren, he called them brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual men, as spiritual people, but as men of flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. Nothing's changed from that saying to chapter 14. It's the same letter. For you are still fleshly. Since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? Aren't you living like unbelievers? Aren't you living as if you're not even saved? Yes. You're acting and thinking like immature babies. And he, this is, they had pride and they had tolerance of evil. Paul said to them, be, as in, when it comes to evil, be infants. You don't want to be schooled in sin. You don't want to say, yeah, I'm really good at that, that part of it. And we are sometimes. But he wants us to be innocent when it comes to sin and when it comes to evil. But when it comes to maturity, we, we need to, to be, uh, when it comes to our thinking, what we think about and the, the, the truth that comes into us, we need to be mature believers. And their immaturity in tongues was causing the same kind of divisions because they were judgmental and they were making judgments about one another and they were looking down on others because they didn't have the gift of tongues and and it was the in crowd who had this particular gift. And Paul is trying to get across to them, no, you're, you're still being fleshly. This is not the way of God. You know, um, children, like puppies... 
are distracted by bright and shiny objects, aren't they? We're going to get a new puppy here in a few weeks. And, you know, you got to, here, can take this, take this. You know, and then a dog will just go, what, 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 what? And babies will do that too. Anything that is bright and shiny, they will be distracted. But we are to come back to this. We are not to be distracted by all the bright and shiny objects that are out there in the world. The Corinthians were distracted. They were immature Christians. And they were distracted from the, the, the truth of the power of God's word to change their lives. You know, immature Christians... Uh, are in, and the church at large are distracted by bright and shiny objects. That happens right now by the showy, by the flashy, by the, the whiz-bang stuff that's happening in the church. There has never been a time in history when there has been more error available to you. There has never been a time where more false teaching has been right at your fingertips. At the same time, there has never been a time in the church where more good things and more truth have been available to you through the internet and, and blogs and the printed word and Bible software and radio and all sorts of things. We have many, many things available to us. And in the early church, like now, bad news, error travels along the least path of resistance. And it makes its way into the church, and it is making its way into the church. Error finds a way. And sometimes people criticize us as pastors and teachers that sometimes you guys are kind of negative about what's going on out there. No, we love you. We have a responsibility to protect you, to feed the flock. We are jealous for your devotion to Christ, and and we're jealous for the purity of your faith. And we are responsible, and one day we'll be held accountable. Did we keep you pure? Did we bring you to maturity? Second Timothy 4.1 says this. This is my responsibility. This is uh, the responsibility of us as, as elders. It's right there in Second Timothy. <laughs> it says... I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Whoa. That's a solemn charge. To preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. This is the age in which we live. And it is our responsibility to to make sure that you are growing up into maturity. That's why Paul also said in Ephesians chapter 4, the the purpose of pastor teachers is to equip the saints to the work for the work of the ministry until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ as a result don't be children tossed here and there by ways carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men and craftiness by deceitful scheming and bright and shiny objects that pull you away from the purity and simplicity of Christ. We will always do that here at Valley Bible Church. 
And that is the point that Paul is making to the, the Corinthians in chapter 14. You all need to come back to maturity. You need to pursue this maturity. You need to be innocent when it comes to things like sin. So here's the thing. Here's a lesson for us. The normal course of events is maturity. What happens when you properly feed a baby? It grows. What if you don't feed a baby? It's going to die. And when it comes to immature or new Christians or all Christians, it is our responsibility to bring people to maturity, and that comes through nourishment, spiritual nourishment of the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And second of all, mature thinking means learning and growing in the truth that edifies. Notice he said, do not be children in your thinking. Be mature in your thinking. He says the other side of it at the end of the verse. And so mature thinking means that we learn the Bible, we learn more of truth, and we grow in that truth, and we apply that truth, and that is how we mature by the power of the Word of God through the Spirit who indwells us. So Paul illustrates next the place in mature, of maturity in the purpose of tongues and in the purpose of prophecy. He says in verse 21, in the law it is written. Notice where he goes. Where does he go? To the prophetic word. It is written. By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I speak to this people and even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Paul goes back to the word of God, and he says, in the law it says this, by men of strange tongues and by lips of strangers I will speak to this people. He's, a, he's quoting um, Isaiah 28, verse 11. In the Old Testament, God continually warned the nation of Israel in the divided kingdom, Israel and Judah, if you do not obey me, you will be judged by the surrounding nations. God was always fighting with his people over idolatry. He redeemed them from the land of Egypt. And even in the wilderness, they, they worshipped false gods. They finally come into the land, and they did not obey him fully. They did not fully um, um, push all the nations out. But God said, okay, you're in the land. Then during the time of the judges, they said, well, hey, we want a king. God says, no, you don't need a king. Only God is a king. No, give us a king. Okay, you're going to get what you want. So they get a king, and it begins the kingdom era where they just continue the same old, same old song. It just gets old. God says to do this. Yeah, but we think we know better. That's just too simple. That's too simple. And so as the kingdoms, northern and southern kingdom, got further and further into idolatry and degradation and, diso and disobeying God, God said, okay, you will not listen. You will not listen. So I'm going to send foreigners. I'm going to send marauders. I'm going to send an enemy into your camp. And when they come and they're speaking in these foreign languages that you don't know, then you will know that you're being judged. And still... He says, you will not listen to me. Thus says the Lord. It was a sign of judgment. He confirmed their hardness of heart. 
So tongues are a sign, he said, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. And what, what this means is on the day of Pentecost, when, when you had all of these unbelieving Jews from all around who were there for, the, for Pentecost, many of them are the ones who had rejected Christ. They were in Jerusalem on the day, and they were in the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. And now the 120 disciples are speaking in these languages, and the unbelieving Jews hear them speaking in their languages. It was a sign of God's judgment to the unbelieving Jews of Israel. He was judging them. He was judging them once again. They would be judged. They would, uh, in AD 70, he's going to destroy Jerusalem. And graciously, Peter stands up and says, listen, brothers, God is judging you, but he presents the, the gracious offer of salvation to those who would repent and believe. And by the miraculous sign of tongues, some were brought, brought to faith in Christ. And so what Paul is saying to, to the Corinthians here, you need to understand the big picture of, of tongues. It was a sign to unbelieving Jews that God had turned his favor from them to Gentiles. And now he was going to build his church. The Jews were not moving on to maturity. If you read Isaiah chapter 28, they were making fun of, uh, of, Jer- of Isaiah's teaching. Oh, it's just this and that, and it's just simple little things. And Paul is saying, no, you have to listen to the elementary things of the gospel. You need to listen to them. And he said, they will not listen to me. The word listen means to obey. To hear is to obey in the scriptures. When you say, God, I hear you, that means I'm listening and I will obey what you say. And they would not, and God predicted that they would not. They would not even listen to the most elementary things of the world. So verse 22 says, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers, meaning unbelieving Jews, but prophecy, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Um, in our text, the words is for a sign. The word sign doesn't really uh, appear in the original. It is, um, it is supplied there by the translators. So it literally says this, Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers, but prophecy, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. The prophetic word is not a sign. It is the means of maturity. And that's the point that he's going to make. It's not a sign, but it's the means to maturity. And the, the, the Israelites would not listen to the prophetic word because they were too immature. They were children in their thinking, and unfortunately, they were well-versed in evil. And when you read chapter 20, 28, it talks about the, the, the priests. They're drunk, and they're eat, drinking wine and strong drink, and they're just staggering around the, the place, and, and they won't listen to the simple elementary truth of Isaiah. So tongues are not a sign, uh, are, are a sign for those who, who uh, the unbelieving Jews... And he's telling the Corinthians to move on because the problem of tongues is that they were a distraction from the deep truths of God that moves them on to maturity. By the way, when he says, by men of strange tongues and the lips of strangers, this once again shows 
that um, the, the spiritual gift of tongues was indeed a language. It was a language that was known. And the prophetic word is the, the main point of what he's saying. So here are a couple of things. You know this from Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. To hear, to listen is to obey. And we see the prominent place of the word. We're, we're right in the middle of the chapter. Paul says, it is written. The prophetic word is the most important thing. And how do, how do people come to Christ? It is through the word of God and by faith in what God says in his word. And so there is no uh, salvation apart from, from the word of God. That's why uh, prophecy is for those who believe, for those who will believe. They, in order to, to, when you're an unbeliever, to become a believer, what must you have? The word. You must have the word given to you, and it is for you to become a believer. Second of all, maturity comes through edification by the prophetic word. That's how maturity comes. This is the point in the chapter that Paul is making. That maturity comes through edification by the prophetic word. And tongues isn't going to get you there because nobody understands what you're saying when it is un- uninterpreted. Peter said this in Second uh, Peter 1. And, uh, and he, he is speaking of witnessing the transfiguration of Christ. Peter and James and John went up on the mountain. Jesus took them. And, and, and they see that Jesus is transfigured and his face is, and his clothing becomes light. And there is Moses and Elijah there the, representing the, the law and the prophets. And now Jesus represents the, the gospel. And, and Peter, speaking of this great, incredible, spiritual, high and spiritual exam, uh, uh, spiritual Um, edification or spiritual uh, experience that he had. Excuse me, there's the word. He had this spiritual experience. And he says this, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. More sure than what? Than my experience of even seeing Jesus transfigured. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. That's what we have here. That's what you have in your hands. The prophetic word made more sure, given to us by the Holy Spirit. For what purpose? For the purpose of our maturity, for the purpose of our edification, that we would grow into the likeness of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we see the deficiency of tongues. In fact, they were even an obstacle probably for the Corinthians to move on to maturity because they had an experience. Look, I got, I'm speaking in tongues. I'm I'm spiritual. Look, I'm speaking in tongues. I've arrived. And others are not as spiritual as me. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You've got it all wrong. It is the prophetic word that brings you to maturity, not your experience. And so, Paul is next going to illustrate that point in the following verses. 
And that, once again, they're going to show that clear communication in worship is necessary and that words without meaning accomplish nothing. So he says in 23 through 25, proclaim the word with clarity. Proclaim the word with clarity. We want to be clear in the proclamation of God's word. He says in verse 23, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? And the expected answer is yes. If the, and he, he, he piles these words on, the whole church, ecclesia, assembles together and all speak, five words he uses to make the point that everybody's together and everybody is speaking in tongues. And I, I don't think that Paul is saying that everybody is, there's just this cacophony of sound. It could mean that one at a time they're doing that, but every person here has a chance to speak in tongues. And what does he, what does he say? If that, un, that, that um, uh, uninitiated person, that ungifted person, the person who's maybe new in Christ, they're new to the, the fellowship, uh, they do not have the gift of tongues, they do not have the gift of interpretation, they do not even know what it's all about perhaps, and an unbeliever comes in and they walk in the door and they go, this makes no sense, these people are out of their minds. That's what, what the word mad means. You people are out of your minds because there's just gibberish. There are just people talking in languages and and no one knows what's going on and, and, and no one's saying amen because no one knows what is happening. Therefore, since tongues are a sign to unbelieving Jews, the prophetic word is that means that bring us to maturity. Obviously, not everyone spoke in tongues, and he's, he's using a hypothetical because remember, he's already said to us, all do not speak in tongues, do they? All do not have the gift of prophecy, do they? So he is painting the picture of a situation that could not happen. And he has already told us that five words spoken with understanding to instruct are of inestimable value compared to Tens of thousands of words in a tongue that nobody can understand. This illustrates that truth. And when they say, well, you guys are out of your mind. It's like the day of Pentecost, isn't it? What did people say? These guys are drunk. These guys are drunk. What? Yeah. Heck with them. I'm out of here. This is crazy. That's not a good look for the church, is it? For people to come in and to think that we're mad. And sometimes churches go for the showy. Sometimes churches are, uh, uh, are distracted by bright and shiny objects, the, by the whiz-bang, by the flashy, by the things that are indeed worldly. If we do those things, we'll draw more people. And oftentimes the things that we think we are drawing them with, we are repelling them with. Because that drawing is a supernatural work of God. And if we focus on the Word of God with clarity, and we, if, we spoke, if we focus on music with understanding, then people will understand when they come in, whether they're the uninitiated or whether they are unbelievers. At all. But the world already thinks the worst of us, doesn't it? It already 
has given a caricature of us to the world. And we don't need to do it to ourselves. We don't need to make it worse. But the world thinks the, the, the worst of us. We, Tara and I like to watch uh, British TV and these um, dramas and mysteries. And when, whenever they're, when you watch and you're trying to figure out who did you know, the murder, and they introduce a character wearing a cross, that's the person. Isn't it? I think American TV does that too. You got the person who claims to be a Christian wearing a cross nine times out of ten. They're the one. And that's what the world thinks of us. And so we don't need to do it to ourselves by having um, worship services that are, are trying too hard to be edgy and cool and to relate to the world. We just need to, to focus on the prophetic word. But here we see the value of the prophetic word in verse 24. But if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he, either one of them, is convicted by all that speak the prophetic word. And here again, it's it's a hypothetical because not everybody has uh, prophetic gifts. And he says, he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he, either one of them, will fall on his face and worship God declaring that God is certainly among you. When people come into Valley Bible Church and they hear the word of God and they go, oh, I'm a sinner. God knows he's revealed this to me. God is here in this place. We don't have people getting down on their faces and worshiping God, but they could if they wanted to. It's more of a cultural thing here. That's why we don't see that. But we do what, what he's talking about here is something that has happened through, through all of Christianity. And every preacher who has ever preached the clear word of God has had someone come up to them after a sermon and, say, and someone says to them, how did you know what was going on in my life? Right, Paul? Right, Caleb? Right, Mike? Every preacher has had that happen. Were you listening to my conversation this week? How did you know this? We don't know. But God knows, and it is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4.12 and 13 says this, For the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and listen to this, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We've all felt that when we've read the word, when the word is preached to us, when we listen to a speaker and we go, oh, it's, it's a dagger. It's a two-edged sword because it cuts this way and it convicts us, but it cuts the other way and it heals us. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That is the mystery and the power of the word of God. And it does not come by speaking in a language that is not interpreted because there is no value in that. So we see the value of the, the, of the word. So here are some lessons. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. It is the Holy Spirit who does that. It's not me. It's not a pastor. It's not any of our teachers. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts people of their sin and what righteousness is, and the fact that since you do not meet that righteousness, there is judgment in store. 
Therefore, the need of a Savior. And that's why people fall on their knees and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Tongues were a sign of judgment to unbelieving Jews that God had brought his Messiah and that the Gentiles would now be uh, included And God was moving on from them. And the prophetic word is for the edification of believers. But in order to become a believer, you have to be exposed to and respond to the prophetic word. It is through the word that we become believers. And some of the unbelieving Jews were indeed just hardened in their unbelief because God predicted that they would. And exactly that was his plan to move on. To the Gentiles. Second of all, there is no greater miracle than someone coming to Christ. Sometimes we kind of shrug that, oh, that's pretty cool, you know, people getting baptized. It's a much greater miracle than someone being healed with a withered hand. It's a much greater miracle than someone having some inner depression healed. It's a much greater miracle than uh, the lame being able to walk, the blind being able to see, the dumb being able to speak, even the physical dead being raised, because this is a spiritually dead person who comes alive in Christ by the power of the prophetic word. It's the greatest miracle of all, and therefore we must proclaim that word for evangelism. That is how people come to Christ, and that is the purpose of the preaching of God's word at Valley Bible Church. God makes worshipers out of rebels. And we were all once rebels. And the prophetic word is for the edification of believers, to become believers and to grow as believers. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's part of the spiritual battle of worship that we're in. You put on the whole armor of God, and and part of that armor, not the most important, but one of the most important is this, that we take up the sword of the Spirit in the battle in which we, we live. Because the power of the prophetic word is the power to change our lives. It changed my life. It has changed your life. Therefore, the prophetic word has a prominent place in worship. The third thing in verses 26 through 28 that we see this morning is that we are to perform the worship that edifies. Perform the worship that edifies. He says in verse 26, okay, well, what then? What's the outcome? He said this once before when he said, uh, you know, if I, if, I, um, if, I, if I speak in tongues, pray for edification. If I pray in a tongue, no, nobody's edified, only me and God. And then he says, what shall I do then? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing with my mind and the spirit. I'm going to, to, to preach with my mind and the spirit. I will sing, I will speak, I will do all of worship with my mind and the spirit. And so he says, what is the outcome, brethren? When you assemble, when you come together for worship, each one who has something to bring, has a psalm. And this, uh, this doesn't mean the psalms of the Old Testament, although it could be, but it means a song. It's the same, it's the noun form of the verb where he said, I will, uh, when he said earlier, I will sing with my mind and my spirit also. And here he says, I will present that song. If you have a song, the people will understand, do that. If you have a teaching, do that. If there is a revelation, something to reveal, 
This prophetic, do that. If someone has a tongue, has an interpretation, here's the bottom line. Let all things be done for edification. Let all things be done for edification. How many things in our worship service? All of them. All is to be done for edification, and that is the other imperative here. Do it for the building up of the body of Christ, for the maturity of Christ. And once again, Paul addresses them with this familiar brethren. What's the outcome when you come together? Whatever you do, even if it includes a tongue that has an interpretation, it must be for edification that people can understand it. So therefore, it must include an interpretation. The purpose of worship is to build up the body of Christ. It is edification. And six times, Paul says in this chapter, edify or edification, and that's the purpose here. He says in verse 12, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. And then in our our verse here, verse 26, Let all things be done for edification. Everyone has something to offer here. Everybody. We've said that before. Everyone is gifted. Everybody is. And the edification and worship takes many forms. It takes instruction, the blessings, the praises, the thanksgiving, the saying amen, the singing, people falling on their knees, people saying God is among us, a declaration. There are many ways, but it all must be for edification. So he says in verse 27, To put it in perspective for them, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two, at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. He's laying down the law. This is what you're going to do. If anybody speaks in a tongue at all, it can only be two, and at the most three. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. He's allowed that early in the chapter. When you speak in a tongue, you're speaking to God. But he says, if there is no interpreter, keep it to yourself. Because it doesn't edify. If there's an interpretation, it will. But if there is not, it will not. Therefore, tongues must be controlled and regulated in worship. As I said, every one of you have a place here. And if you came to Valley Bible Church from a charismatic or a Pentecostal background, and you believe that this takes away that only thing that you've had of spiritual value, that is not true. There you, God has given you other gifts to, to minister to the church. You are welcome here. You are part of this church family. And we want you to find that place where, of giftedness where you can plug in and you can edify others by serving, by teaching, by giving by helping, by showing wisdom, whatever it may be that God has given to you, you have a place here. In conclusion, a couple of things. Everything we do should be filtered through the rubric of does it edify? We can do a lot of things. They might be showy. They might be fun. They might make us happy. They might be funny. And sometimes those things do edify, but does it, or does it distract? Does it distract from edifying one another? By the way, the word rubric, interesting, I did not know this. 
It originally was directions in the liturgical book on how a worship service should be conducted. That was the original meaning of the word rubric. How do you conduct worship in a meaningful, orderly way? And so, an apt question, isn't it? Looking at it through this rubric, does what we do edify? And in the end, does it glorify God? You know the verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. What edifies, rather, what glorifies God edifies others. And what edifies others glorifies God. Pretty simple, isn't it? Whatever glorifies God is going to edify others. And whatever edifies others is going to glorify God. So, again... What I want you to take with you this morning is this simple statement. We are to be spiritually mature through the prophetic word that builds us up. That's what we're about. Move on to maturity. It's going to happen through the word as we build each other up. At this time, we are going to prepare for the Lord's table. And we're going to sing our final song. And as the worship team is coming up, I will read from to you from the book of Matthew and the words of Jesus. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing that is a blessing to God, he praised God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. You will have a cup once again. The bottom of the cup will be your bread. And Jesus said, this is my body. Didn't mean it literally. This represents his body. And when he had taken a cup and he had also given a praise to God, a thanksgiving, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you who are believers in Christ. If you've had that miracle of being born again and you've placed your faith in Christ, come to the table. And he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. For I say to you that I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. As we sing, hold in your hands the bread and the cup, and would you prepare your hearts to be rightly related to one another and rightly related to him. If you need to confess sin, he's a gracious and loving God. He forgives you on the spot. And with joy and with thanksgiving, partake this morning. So take a moment to consider.